0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus.
0: Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you've joined us. We've got another great program bringing you a great guest, and I know you're going to be inspired and have your mind and heart. Opened and illumined. So, again, glad you're listening today. Also, thank you so much for your comments on the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page. It's great. I've been hearing from several of you lately and uh, letting me know that what we're doing here is making a difference in your life. So, that's just fabulous. So, uh, keep those coming and uh, thanks so much for liking the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page and for posting. I want to thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your Unity community, any of your other uh, spiritual communities, your friends, your family, know about us here on Spirit of Recovery. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of spirituality and recovery right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Every week we have topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative. My guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people and sometimes all of the above. And my guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live via your computer, via your smart device. You can go to stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. You can also listen on demand. We've got years' worth of wonderful archives. Just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program Spirit of Recovery and listen at your leisure. I want you to know also that you can if you choose to financially support UnityOnlineRadio.org, which is a nonprofit endeavor you can uh donate once or ongoing uh you text unity radio 2727 and that helps support not only spirit of recovery but the many other great programs that are here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place and that everybody's welcome to listen and to participate. If you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member um, or friend, or not, maybe you're just curious about the process of recovery, you're curious about what addiction is and and um, how people recover from that. We're glad you're here, and you're welcome, again, as a listener, and certainly welcome, too, if you have a comment or question, for my guests to call that in or email it in. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor. I'm also a person that has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And 34 years ago, those relationships were a powerful catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And I am so grateful. And my Walk is an integration of unity and recovery principles, and my life keeps transforming and keeps me growing in deeper ways, and um, I'm just grateful. So I'm delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and also to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. Well, today we have, as always, a wonderful program. Today we're going to be talking about the play that speaks the language of the heart, and that play is Bill W. and Dr. Bob. And my guest is Samuel Shem. He is, along with his partner Janet Surrey, the playwright that created this wonderful endeavor, and he's going to be sharing with us about the play and about the journey of the play, about why they came to write it, and it's it's. The play – producing the play itself has been an adventure, and um, it has been ongoing for several years. The play is about the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous, and all the reviews are clearly say uh, the play touches people even if they don't know anything about alcoholism or have never really uh, – been in recovery or known anything about it, but the play really speaks to that universal experience of human suffering and the spiritual growth that comes from finding a way through that. Um, I'm excited because I live in Austin, Texas and work here in Austin, Texas, and Bill W. and Dr. Bob is right here tonight, is the opening night, and I'm going to be seeing the play on Sunday afternoon, it's at the Long Center in Austin, and I think it's sold out. I I had a hard time getting a ticket, but um, again, my guest Samuel Shem is a playwright. He is a physician. He is uh, a world-renowned speaker. He's the author of uh, many different books, and uh, he has uh, been. He's delivered the Gold Lecture in Medical Humanities at the American Association of Medical Colleges, and he. Has just done so much. You can learn more about his work if you go to com, or also if you go to Samuel Shem, that's Samuel and she com, and you can find out lots about him. So, Shem, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you. Glad you're here. So I know that as we speak, you are actually sitting at the Long Center Um, You said that most everybody else has left for the day, I guess, getting ready for the performance tonight. So share with us a little bit about what that's like. Here you are It's debuting in our opening night here in Austin tonight. Uh, What's that like, being the playwright and and being in a new venue? And I know you've been in many, but what's that like?
2: Well, it's quite wonderful. I'm I'm sitting here, uh, those of you who know the story about Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith, No, Bob was a a surgeon in Akron and uh, a terrible drunk. And I'm sitting on stage here at the long side of this beautiful theater, a small theater. It's a 200-seat theater uh, sitting in Dr. Bob's chair, where he spends a lot of time and spends a lot of time drinking. Uh, Not his real chair, of course, but the prop that is his chair. It's this big, winged chair. As he says at one point in the play, I used to live in that chair, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, when he was just drinking but um it's it's absolutely wonderful to be here you know everything's quite quiet there's this huge number of empty seats the props the chairs on stage the table a beautiful uh, mural backdrop of uh, that was painted by a very uh, well-known Costa Rican artist uh, for our opening in Costa Rica in December uh, and that's the backdrop for the play uh, I uh have been with this play for many many years my wife Janet Surrey and I uh, got the idea if you can imagine in 1986 we were both uh, I was a psychiatrist at that time she was a clinical psychologist and we wanted to work together and we had never done that and so we did a smart thing we, we chose two things to work on one from her area of expertise and one from mine and mine was writing novels and plays and hers was uh, kind of a new theory of psychological growth and health, uh, which was really based much more on a feminine rather than a masculine model. The masculine model of what good psychological growth and health is, is that it resides within a single self, right? (laughs) And what Janet's theory and others who joined her reframed it as is that the measure of a person's health uh... can be measured by the quality of their connections not just by themselves but what by the quality of their connections So we chose to start doing male female dialogues uh... together to try to explore that theory uh... to see if we could help make peace between men and women and wrote a book after we did uh, twenty thousand men and women and boys and girls we wrote a book called we have to talk healing dialogues between women and men which you can get and then one day, she came to me. We had both treated alcoholics and addicts in our practices, and she came to me with the two biographies of the two men uh, that whose meeting led to the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous in Akron, Ohio, in 1935. Some of you know, uh, one is called uh, Pass It On, which is the story of Bill Wilson, who was a stockbroker from New York. And the other is called Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, which is the biography of Dr. Robert Smith, who was a surgeon in Akron, Ohio. And we read that we were sitting out we read these books and they just blew us away. It was just the incredible, unlikely story of how these guys met and then how they discovered a long treatment and in, in for recovery from alcoholism. And um we we were sitting out on some rocks and we were thinking, well, what should we do with this? And we were amazed, this is in nineteen eighty six. Nobody had Written this, it's this great American success story. You know, the meeting that they had in 1935 in Akron is replicated all over the world, tens of thousands of times. Five thousand meetings a week in, in the Greater New York area, for instance. And uh, so we immediately felt the tap of the muse on both of our shoulders, saying the same thing which is it has to start with, the. it has to be live theater, no movies here. It has to be a live theater so that, um, you know, we, we realize it had to start with a guy standing up on stage and talking to the audience as if he's talking at a meeting, a meeting and saying, my name's Bill W. and I'm an alcoholic. And then he goes on, at a time like this, I wish my partner could be here. I'm talking about a man we all call, and then in the spotlight on the other side, Dr. Bob, alcoholic, good to be here sober, talking at another meeting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it, it's a, it was a beautiful combination of, of structure and content, because it starts that way where they start to tell their stories quite briefly, and then the play shows their stories, acts it out, and then it ends with them ending their story. So there's this beautiful structure. And um, so we started writing. And, well, actually, we didn't start writing too fast. We, um, we, went, we, we realized we had to do two things in order to fulfill our mission. One was that it had to be a great play, or else nobody would want to see it. The second was that we had to stay as close to the authentic history as we could possibly find and so we met everybody we talked to everybody we read everything we went all over the country spent time in akron and in vermont where they were both from and in all these years of the play being put on nobody has found a historical flaw you
0: know, who did you talk to who did you interview in those places people well, in a or or people that knew them they're like family members you know, who did you interview yeah We we
2: actually got, well, some of them, you know, both men, of course, were dead. Uh, The wives, uh, Bob's wife was dead. Lois Wilson was still alive, but she was very old. We didn't bother her. We became very good friends with Dr. Bob's daughter, actually, a woman named Sue Windows, and Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time with her out in Akron, and uh, she sort of filled us in on exactly what it was to grow up in that family. Very, very helpful. And, in fact, she came to the play at its first production in Boston, and afterwards, she said, "Well, you really got my father and mother right in this play. You know, you really did did it beautifully. It was like watching them up there on stage."
0: Wonderful. Um, and Sue and, knew Sue knew Bill. She had met Bill W. too, right? Because Bill had stayed some with their family. So did she know Bill a little but,
2: bit? Yeah, she was. She was a teenager when Bill mo- Bill uh, moved into their house for several months in 1935. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sue Windows, of course, remembered Bill. Yeah, told us she was only about she was about sixteen at the time, so it wasn't. Uh, but and and over the years we've met. Well, like you know, it just finished a month long run off Broadway in New York, and apparently I wasn't there. But at the last performance, someone who was the grandson of a very important person in the in the. Uh, play Henrietta Cyberling, he came up and he said, oh, that was my grandmother, you know, that was on stage. Wonderful. Yeah, it's very, I can't tell you how moving it is to do this play. I mean, the one thing I, I, I would like people to know is that my, surfe, my service in Alcoholic Anonymous is this play. That's what I dedicate my life to. I've dedicated, well, I mean, I do a lot of other things, but in terms of alcoholics, I used to treat a lot of alcoholics and addicts. Using twelve step principles, but what I, um, what I, this is this is what I do, in order to uh, help those still suffering and affirm, and celebrate and inspire those who are in the program. And I'll tell you one story that was sort of, to the, it was sort of wonderful. The first time the play was ever done in front of a live audience. The actor, this was in Boston, and the actor got up. He wasn't in an AA. The actor got up and he started the building. He said, my name's Bill W., and I'm an alcoholic. And there were a lot of AA people people in the audience that shouted out, hi, Bill. And he laughed. He he was Uh startled. Or actually, he was startled, and he gave this kind of startled look. And they all laughed, and then he laughed, and then everybody applauded. And I said to Janet sitting beside me, this is pretty good, the, the first line of the play, and look, you know.
0: Oh, you making so, that connection, right.
2: Isn't that amazing? So, um, you know, so it wasn't an easy play to write, but we did write it. Oh, one other thing I wanted to tell people listening, if they're at all interested. Very early on, we had a, a reading at a theater, small theater in Boston, you know, just to see how how it would go. And then there was a talk back with the people in the audience afterwards. And we were talking, and some old guy in the back said, you know, I knew Bill Wilson, so you knew Bill Wilson. Wow. Can you tell me what tell us one thing about Bill Wilson? He said, yeah, Bill Wilson was the kind of guy who could talk a dog off a meat wagon. <laughs> and huh. uh, you, you will find that line in the play. It's you know, it's a great last line, but it's it's you know, it, if you're trying to write a historical figure, you try to get any hint, you know, sort of an inner hint of what he's like, because you have to write it, it from inside of him, get uh-huh. inside of him, and that was that told us a lot about Bill. It really did. And Absolutely. So, you know, here we are. I mean, uh, who would have thought it? The this this is a very special production. It is almost sold out. I think if any of you are in the Austin area. They added another show since it sold so many tickets, and I think that's on Sunday. There are still tickets for this coming Sunday, whatever date that so is. But you better, mm-hmm. better call fast. Um, but let me just tell you another aspect of this journey with this play. Yes. Mm-hmm. When we've been, we've been off Broadway three times now in the last eight years, I think, which is some kind of record. And what we've done the last two times, which I organized, was to uh, do it all nonprofit, nobody making any money. And uh, giving away, we were able by donations, just by tax-exempt donations which funded it, giving away 25% of the seats to 50% sometimes of the seats to those in recovery communities who didn't have a nickel to pay. Mm -hmm. And that is the most gratifying thing I have ever done as a writer. You know, I've written Several novels that are quite well known. If anybody's interested in medicine, uh, there's a novel about my medical internship called *The House of God*, which has sold three million copies now. Every doctor reads it. But um, you know, the most grateful thing that my gratitude is that you have people coming into the theater, and I think it'll be the same here in Austin. I'm not sure if they're giving away some free tickets or sponsoring free tickets. But you have people who've never been in the theater before. Many of them are African Americans or Hispanic Americans. And, uh, you know, so that sometimes what you have to do, what we were doing in New York is, since the play is in two acts, we'd have to station somebody outside the theater after act one, because they didn't know that there was such a thing as an intermission, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and they're a terrific audience because, you know, it's like there's a sort of call and response in churches and stuff, you know, Right. So that at one point when Bill's about to take a drink in the play, you hear people shout out sometimes, no, Bill, don't take that drink, don't take that drink, <laughs>
0: you know. Call your sponsor, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, and, you know, it's, that's just the most wonderful thing, and, this part, this version this time around. Well, it, let me let me count how well it has made its way. Even though, frankly, the the um, the uh, mainstream media has not paid very much attention to it. You know, I think they're scared of AA. They think it's uh, you know they, the AA unfortunately still has this has two myths about it. One, it's a cult, and B, that uh, you have to believe in God to be a member. And what we did. Really addressing in the play the second point, I want everybody out there to hear this,
0: All right.
2: is that these two men, at the time that they founded AA in 1935, Bill Wilson and Bob Smith, had no interest in the traditional religious God. and In mm-hmm. the, the fact, they were running away from God because they had tried prayer, they had tried religion, and it didn't keep them from a drink. That's a main theme of the play main theme of the play as dr bob says uh, in his first speech uh, when he's talking to the audience he says you know i was forced by mother to go to church four times a week when i was free i vowed i would never darken the doors of a church again a vow i have kept religiously for 40 odd <laughs> years you know
0: uh-huh.
2: humor this play because bob was a very very funny guy um, And uh, I lost my train of thought a little bit of where I was going with this. Well, hold on.
0: It's time for our first break. And uh, we'll Well, we'll get you back on track there, Shem. Thank you so much. Listeners, we're going to take a break, but stay with us. Our topic today is The Play That Speaks the Language of the Heart. Bill W. and Dr. Bob. My guest is Samuel Shem, or his pen name is Steve Bergman. He and his wife, Janet Suri, co-wrote the play that we're talking about today. And um, Shem is a novelist, essayist, playwright, and activist. He's a graduate of Harvard College and Medical School. He's an Oxford, was an Oxford Road scholar, and he was on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School for 35 years and is uh, just a delightful person. So stay with us. We'll be right back and um, continue talking about about the play that speaks the language of the heart. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world.
3: Do you ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck, author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart Center Metaphysics speaks to truth seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on
0: Shop. You'll meet artists, naturalists, and other soulful expressions that will inspire you to call forth the most alive, passionate version of yourself. Get into the natural stream of your own soul by tuning into Soul Stream live every Wednesday at noon Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host, and our topic today is the play that speaks the language of the heart, Bill W. and Dr. Bob. My guest is the the co-playwright of that play, and his name is uh, Samuel Shem. His uh, pen name is Steve Bergman, and uh, he co-wrote the play with his wife, Janet Surrey, and uh Shem is a novelist, an essayist, a playwright, and an activist. He's a graduate of Harvard College and Medical School in Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. He is He's written several novels. He's written a wonderful uh, medical novel that's read by many physicians and very helpful to them. He has practiced as a psychiatrist and um, has been on the faculty was on the faculty of Harvard College and Medical School for 35 years. You can learn more about the play and about him if you go to www.billwanddrbob.com or to samuelshem.com and that's samuelshem.com. Before I get back to my conversation with uh, Shem, I would like to invite you to share a moment with me called the Serenity Minute. It's a moment that um, allows us to take a breather, to make that conscious contact with our higher power, to share a constructive idea, and to relax for a moment. So I invite you to relax, to feel that peaceful presence of your higher power as you understand it, and to breathe, and to relax, and to share with me this constructive idea. Spiritual light shines in me brightly, and all is well. Spiritual light shines in me, through me, and as me brightly, and all is well. And now we take a moment in the quiet. Friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I trust that it was an opportunity for you to take a breather, to relax, to let your heart and mind open and make that connection with that force of life, however you define it, that lives inside of you. So now I'm back to my conversation with Samuel Shem about Bill W. and Dr. Bob, the play that speaks the language of the heart. So, before our break you were um sharing with us this idea that Bill W. and Doctor Bob were in no way orthodox in their understanding of spirituality, that in fact they were were frustrated because it wasn't helping them to stop drinking. So, um how what are some other ways that the play portrays that and uh you know, that different kind of understanding of spirituality or, or whatever. We may not even call it that.
2: Well, yes, I'm, I'm very glad we're getting to this topic since that's the title of what you do in the world, and, and uh, bless you for doing that. Thank you. Um, you know, there are places where I couldn't mention the word spiritual or spirituality, like Harvard Medical School, you know. They're mm-hmm. not interest. Now I'm at NYU, New York, New York University Medical School, which is a terrific place. And actually, I want to say that New York University Medical School is the uh, is the exclusive sponsor of this play this time around, and uh, we started it, well, I'll tell you more about the play, that it's in two languages, and uh, we're on tour in two countries, at least so far. But let me focus on the spiritual versus the religious for a second. As I said before, neither of these men believed in a traditional religious God, and because it didn't work for them. They tried and tried for they tried prayer, and one of the big moments in in uh, AA history is when Bill is at uh, very near his bottom, and a guy named Ebby Thatcher shows up, who had gotten sober, and he had gotten sober by turning his life over to the traditional God and praying to the traditional God, and Bill said, uh, you know, and and, and says to him, "Use whatever you you believe in, whatever it is," and. To that, in the play, Bill's a Bill, who's drunk, lifts a glass of whiskey. Okay, mm-hmm. and Ebby says, says to him, you don't have to believe in God. You just have to admit that you're not God so that something else outside that prickly, stubborn Vermont self of yours can take hold. And that's a big moment for Bill, and it's a big moment in the incredible chain of events that led to the the meeting of these two men and the founding of AA, because what it says is the issue, it's not a religious issue, it's a spiritual issue in the sense that it's something outside yourself. That's the way I like to to define higher power or a spiritual experience, all of a sudden it's not that you're in yourself alone, but many of your listeners have had this experience. You realize that you're a part of something else. And I've had a couple of experiences like that. So that um, it's a very hard distinction for mainstream media, etc., to understand the difference between religious and spiritual. So a lot of the play... We couldn't write this play without addressing that transformation because both of these men realized they had to ask for help from something outside themselves. And uh, what Bill discovered that was that it, when he was in desperate straits in Akron when he happened to meet Bob, he discovered with his wife's help that the only thing that could keep a drunk sober was telling his story to another drunk which is a profound thing, really. And it's a bigger issue, which I talk about all the time when I go around the country, the world, speaking medical students and doctors. It's really, I put it in a medical framework sometimes, which is that isolation is deadly and good connection heals. Mm-hmm. What's a good connection? A good connection is a mutual connection. If it ain't mutual, it ain't good. So um, that's really what... We're trying very hard, and it's, you, can't, you can't come away from this play thinking that, oh, you've got to be religious to be in AA. So um, uh, I think that it's, you know, this really, well, let me say another thing. They discovered in 1935 what they realized in their conversation that was supposed to last only 15 minutes, their first meeting, Bob said he was hungover, you know, in Akron, and Bill happened to be introduced to him. He said, I'll give you 15 minutes, 15 minutes tops. They spoke for six hours, and then that was the birth of AA. Um, But what they discovered in 1935 is absolutely amazing, and they're not given any credit for this, of course. Alcoholism was a disease with physical psychological and spiritual elements and had to be treated in all three arenas in order to succeed. And that was the birth of the holistic movement in America in 1935. Mm-hmm. And, these men, and, and the other thing is, neither of the, if they hadn't met each other and tried to deal with this more alone, they would have both been dead and we'd never have this program. Uh, right. You can't, you can't do
0: it alone. That's right. and You know, what? when you're speaking of that, it's, it's back to what you were saying about spirituality, that it's, it's about connection. Exactly. And there it is. You've got to connect with yeah. other people.
2: Let me say, let me put this even more broadly, because frankly, as you, as you heard, I'm something of an activist. You know, I've tried to fight the good fights against, you know, we, our, our generation uh, helped put the civil rights laws on the books and stopped the Vietnam War. You know I'm a '60s guy, and I still have that dream. And but this country now, all of us agree, it doesn't matter what your politics are. This is this country is so divided, so full of anger, so full of resentment that, and and I think part of that is that it has become a very very self-centered culture. Maybe it's the most self-centered culture in the world, and. Um, What is really needed is not people to say, I think this and you think that and we can't get along. It has to be a focus on I and you and we. Or, as I said before, the primacy or the first things first, the first thing that you have to look toward is making a good connection. If you're in a good connection, think of your spouse or loved one. If you're in a good connection with your loved one or spouse or friend or whatever, if you're in a good connection... You can talk about anything. If you're not in a good connection, you can't talk about anything. So the issue is, as you said, Anna, is, is, is the primacy or the first things first is that the connection comes first.
0: Right. You know, there's such a gift, and you're really doing it in the play, and, and you've talked about it. In 12-step meetings, the idea of sitting around in a circle, or even if you're sitting in classroom style, listening to each other's stories. That is the most basic sort of human activity since humans started walking out of the forest, but it's the most profound because of just what you're saying. It makes that connection.
2: Yeah. Let me say, if you don't mind, I'll put in a a little bit of, well, I want to inform your listeners of two other books. that One is with my wife and one is a, a novel that I wrote. But my wife and I, a few months ago, came up, with uh, published uh, a, book, a book called The Buddha's Wife. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's absolutely about this as well. Uh, my wife is a Buddhist teacher now as well as uh, a psychologist. Uh, you know, she leads a very spiritual life in a way all over the, going all over the country. But The Buddha's Wife is the story, I don't know if your, your audience knows about the history. The Buddha left his wife and newborn son on the morning of the son's birth without saying goodbye, to go off on his heroic journey. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And our question was, what happened to the wife? And what we suggest, and this is why I bring it up now, what we suggest from the little historical data, this is 2,500 years ago, is that in her grief, the way her her suffering attracted the compassion of the other women of the palace, and they helped her walk through together And one of the things they did is that, uh, you know, they realized that she couldn't be alone in this tremendous grief. Imagine that her beloved just leaves, right? In her (laughs) tremendous grief, they had to put her in a circle. They surrounded her with a circle of caring other women. And whereas the Buddha stepped out of relationship to seek awakening, Yasodhara, that's her name, stepped into relationship with other women to get through this and then seek relations. And so we're talking about a whole new path of spiritual awakening, which is not alone, but with others. And mm-hmm. that the first part of the book is a novel about that, and the second part is a commentary at this power and path of awakening together with, you know, exercises, meditations you can do with others, etc. So that may be something that would be of interest to your
0: to Absolutely. Your, uh,
2: yeah, and they can so, find
0: that on your on the samuelshem.com dot com website too. I think yeah. right. and
2: you can, they can say, just go to the yeah. Buddha's Wife or go to Amazon. The other book I'll just put in a plug for because it it's right down your alley again. Now all my writing is turned toward very spiritual stuff, you know, in other forms. I mean, in novels and essays. Is uh, the latest novel I published was called The Spirit of the Place, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, it really is a spiritual journey of the young doctor who's forced to go back to this town that he grew up in that he really doesn't like uh, and joins his old doctor who uh, got him into medicine in the first place. Anyway, you can find that too, but since it's the title of your show, I thought I'd mention it too. It's the spirit of the place.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, all that about, you know, hearing each other's spiritual journeys and and how we uh, play that out is important. I mean, it's it's all part of our growth. So, Tell me, Shem, how has this play affected you personally? As you say, you and your wife Janet Surrey have been working with this for many years. You, you wrote it um, back in the late '80s, and I know it's been um, produced many times. How's it affected you?
2: Well, uh, the it's been quite a journey. <laughs> uh, I we had the idea. Of, well, I had been I had started being referred patients as a psychiatrist who were in trouble with alcohol and drugs. They were in, in the hospital I worked at. So I started to, uh, work, to do psychotherapy with them and learn about AA. And I realized I didn't know much about AA, so I had to learn more. So I started going to AA meetings. And I saw more transformation of character in those meetings uh, of these alcoholics and addicts than I ever saw, really, in my uh, long-term therapy with people who weren't alcoholics and addicts. You know, you take the alcohol out of a person, you have a person, a good person, usually, pretty good person, especially if they work the steps of AA. And then, uh, you know, one day, so I learned all about AA, and I, I insisted that in order to be in therapy with me, they had to have a meaningful connection so 12-step program, meaning they don't drink, they do service, and they get a sponsor and go to meetings. Um, and then one day I'm at one of these meetings, and I'm thinking, hey, maybe you've got a problem. And uh, I had been drinking more heavily. Um, I hadn't really lost anything at all. And I didn't have to go into rehab or anything like that. And I said, well, look, why don't you try to stop you know, stop, and see what happens? And I And uh, my life changed. It totally changed for the better. Even though I wasn't, you know, I didn't think I was really a bad alcoholic or anything like that. And that was 26 years ago, and I haven't had a drink since Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, what I did notice is that when I looked back over my life, uh, you know, it's like all of our lives. with With the flutter of a butterfly's wing... We might not be here, you know. All these different ch- events that happen in our lives, the butterfly's wing goes one way or another, right, looking back. And I realized I could have been dead a lot of times from alcohol, different ways, you know. And I, and, and also I realized that I had treated people, number of people, pretty badly, things I really can't even to this day talk about. So... Uh, I, it, it, it's funny because we were working on the play for a couple of years before, um, I took that step. And what happens to people who work on this play, it's really interesting because it's such a powerful, loving story about how these guys were going to die and they met each other, they helped each other, they realized that through connection they could live and they could pass it on to other people. Um, And anybody who you know, we've had you know, been so many productions. We've had we've had actors that have been really heavy drinkers or even alcoholics that played in some of these parts. But by the end of the run of the play, guess what? They can't Mm -hmm. keep keep doing it. They go to meetings, you know. Mm -hmm. Even the Mm -hmm. cast and the crew, and it has a profound effect on people because, um, well, someone asked me in an interview uh, a couple of years ago, why do you write? And uh, I'd never thought of that. I just write, you know. I love writing novel fiction, especially I love, and plays. And I said, well, two things came to mind. One is I write to address the injustice in the world. And that comes from my 60s, the idea that you can do that. And I write about, as I've already said, the danger of isolation and the healing power of good connection. And... You know that in in something like a novel, you have to describe that. You don't write about that, but you show it. In a play, you show it, and this is the best example of ever being able to show it. I just would say one other thing about alcoholism. This is as a doctor, and that is, you know, there's sort of a little bit of an assault on AA and other twelve-step programs now from the the uh, many psychiatrists actually who are, who are psychopharmacologists saying, oh, they can it can be treated by a drug, et cetera, You know. And um, in fact, uh, AA has been shown by studies, very careful studies at NYU Medical School, among others, to be the most successful long-term treatment of alcohol, of people who have the disease of alcoholism and drug abuse, et cetera. And the reason for that, they said, "Yes, you can take a pill. You can take a pill now that should reduce craving and all of that stuff. But the only thing that will help you in in the course of your life—we're talking long term here—is um, a change of character through working with others." And so, uh, I feel very, um, I feel very strongly that we should. Make that clear, that character change is what a human being needs because, you know, people, first of all, don't take their pills, and second of all, they don't take them for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. So I'm on that little mission right now.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful Uh, because that's true that, again medication can certainly assist people support their yeah. sobriety but um, as you say without that long-term connection and the, the change of uh, heart and mind it's it's a bit hollow I think and doesn't necessarily last it really doesn't
2: yeah I think well mm-hmm. I think the data supports that
0: yeah and it does and that's the thing too that sometimes um, people don't believe that but it's a fact that the data Absolutely. does support what you're saying it does you know um what happens to people when they see this play you is does every production have a talk back after the play or how does that work and what what do you get from the audiences what are they saying
2: what we what we try to do certainly if i'm around um and actually with this production uh even if i wasn't around in New York, uh, we did have a talk back with the audience every night. Uh, and that's just, you know, right after the play's over, I get up on stage with other with the actors, you know, and uh, and just, uh, you know, respond. And very often it's a little bit like an AA meeting, you know, where people actually, they're so moved, they say, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic, you know, and people say, hi, hi so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's very, very moving uh, to do that. It's like, you know... I mean, and also we've had people come from all over the country just to see this, from all over the world. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. The, the other thing I didn't really mention, this, this particular production is very remarkable because uh, we had the idea that we would do it in two languages, English and Spanish, but just with the same cast. So some performances would be in English and some performances would be in Spanish. And we started the play in Costa Rica in December uh, in English and Spanish because uh, the director has a theater there, and we have a house there, actually. Uh, Costa Rica is one of the few countries with no army, has no army. Right. (laughs) So that it can give all the, it uses the money that otherwise it would spend on an army for free health care, free education, and, uh, you know, uh, using natural resources just for good, not for other things. Uh, so it started in, in Costa Rica in December, and then we moved it to Off-Broadway for a month, sponsored by NYU Langone Medical School, which is unheard of. A medical school sponsoring a play about al- the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous? Well, why is that? Because I'm on the faculty there now as a full professor of medicine, and I specialize in writing and also in substance abuse. And I went to the dean, and I said, I think this play can serve in New York City as a focus for an initiative on alcoholism and its treatment. And I'm asking for, and then it would go, and then after New York, it'll go all around America, and in Spanish, go all through Central and South America. And he didn't blink. He's such a great guy, as Dr. Bob Grossman. He's the head of NYU Langone Medical Center. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, I think that's a very good idea. And so they jumped in as as the exclusive sponsor. And around the play in New York, we had... Colloquium about alcoholism and its treatment up at the medical school where the actors came up and performed so it's re- and and we gave uh, free tickets to medical students as well as to other people who didn't have money and that's in some ways one of the most moving things that's ever happened with this play. Texas is our last stop for now. we don't have any more money <laughs> but um <laughs> But if we do raise money, we'll take it through the rest of the U.S., and uh, I would love to take it throughout Central and South America because alcoholism is a huge problem, and AA is a huge resource all through Latin America. It's really amazing. Little towns, they have these uh, buildings with the AA logo on. Wonderful,
0: wonderful. That's our well, dream. So you're, you're,
2: uh, as they, they're saying in politics these days, the billionaires, uh, if the millionaires and billionaires, if anybody's in recovery out there and really wants to help with a tax-exempt donation to get this thing going right through the U.S. and, and uh, Latin America, that'd be great. And, you know, our first experience here in the, the Long Theater in Austin is it literally was sold out about a month ago because there's so many people who would want to see this play.
0: Yeah, they really are. As I said, I had a hard time getting a ticket. <laughs> like, wait a minute! I had to change my the day I was going and stuff. But I was thrilled. Um, I uh, had a little conversation with somebody just that I know personally that uh, is affiliated with the Long Center and expressed that they were very surprised at how how full it was. And I'm like, yeah, I so said the whole recovery community knows about it. They're all out there. I've Uh seen
2: this all over the world. You know, people don't think people are going to come to this because I'm an unknown playwright pretty much, and, you know, nobody really knows what it's about. It hasn't had really huge publicity by anybody. We've never had a big big publicity budget. And it always breaks the box office records because the word gets out. And you have the regular audience, and then you have the theater audience. And I just would say everybody agrees, all the... the, uh, All the uh, critics agree uh, that it's just a good play. Remember I said we had two goals, to write a good play. It's just a good play, so you don't have to know anything about the subject matter, although what we like to say is everybody either is an alcoholic or knows an alcoholic, right? It's a huge problem. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and you know, your story, Shem, of what you said about, I'm guessing... You know, you were probably, as you say, highly, very highly functioning. So I'm, yeah. I'm making a guess here that it wasn't, nobody in the outer would have thought that for you that there was a, a need for recovery, but I'm guessing it was in the quality of it, somehow your inner life or your closer relationships. Is that yeah. kind of hitting the mark? Yeah, you
2: that? Just, I just noticed that the way, yeah, you're exactly right. I noticed the effect on my... Uh, relationship with Janet and on my other relationships, and looking back, I saw sometimes that I really did things that I not only were dangerous, but to me, but and others, but that were really not very. Uh, what's the word? You know, taking a in, in AA they talk about taking a searching and fearless moral inventory. Well, my moral inventory had some big gaps. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and that's sort of the gift of recovery. It, it puts a, a different lens on what we consider as health or what we consider as, um, uh, you know, as you're saying, a, a mutual connection. It it propels one into another world, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. into a much uh, high-quality world. Well, we've just got a few minutes left here. What would you... Share uh, from your perspective, both uh, as someone that's been involved, obviously, with this play, and someone uh, who is a physician, a psychiatrist, you work with medical students and and colleagues all the time. What do you see as the future of recovery in this country or across the world? Because you obviously you're you're moving across the world as well. What do you see? What yeah. do you see coming?
2: Well, the good news is that AA, you know, is now and other twelve step programs are have spread all around the world. If you go to an AA. Uh, you know, international convention every 10 years. You know, there's 100,000 people. There are 120 countries. So it's good news around the world. I'll tell you one thing that really concerns me, and Janet, right now, though, in this country, and that is, and we've tried to address this, there is an epidemic of binge drinking on college campuses. The number of deaths per year from alcohol and alcohol-related accidents, etc. Ten years ago, was about 200 kids died college college kids died per year. Now, almost 2,000 do every year. That's five per day. Five college kids today died from either just alcohol poisoning or actions on being drunk. And this is an amazing you know this is an amazing epidemic that's current. Yeah. And nobody quite understands it. And nobody knows what to do. We have a program that we're trying to get foundation funding for to take the play to colleges with a program of how to decrease the epidemic of alcoholism. And we'll see how far that goes. But anybody who has a college kid now, you know, our daughter went to college about five years ago, and the first uh, first weekend we visited her, her her front dorm glass door was kicked in, and you know, they're all. I mean. Hmm. It's horrible okay. now, and actually I'm going to talk to some people at the University of Texas here in Austin uh, tomorrow to see if they'd be interested in somehow joining us in that endeavor. So Debbie... but. the biggest threat.
0: Great. Yeah, that's wonderful. And as you know and it's probably who you're going to be talking with um at UT campus is that young people in recovery is a big yes, movement right. now. Yeah, they yeah. are fabulous. I've had uh some of their members on as my guests and they're all across the country and um doing great work and I, that's wonderful. I'm really glad you're going to be making that uh connection with them. That is fabulous. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. Well, just one other one other quick yeah. thing, you know, Janet and I,
2: you know, wherever we go, wherever we travel all across the world, we, because this is a great interest of ours, we seek out AA meetings, and it's so incredible to go, you know, to Italy, to every continent except Antarctica, you know. And Mm -hmm. you can always find, you know. So it's amazing that what these two guys did when they met in Akron, Ohio, for six hours, they were just trying to stay alive. They didn't think they were founding AA. They were just trying to not die and through making a good connection, they found how to live, and that's spread all over the world. So, you know, you never know what little action you take it may have profound effects.
0: That's powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much, um, Samuel Shem, for being my guest, and thank you and Janet for writing this play and for um presenting it and for all the work you do and, and for your own involvement, engagement in the recovery process on lots of levels. Um, you are a delight, and I'm just really looking forward to seeing the play and hopefully getting to say hi to you on Sunday afternoon. So um, listeners, thank you for being here with us, and you can hear the whole program on Archive if you want to. It'll be up later tonight. You can go back to... Um, unityonlineradio.org slash program slash recovery and hear the program again. Cool, and uh, many blessings. And again, thank you so much, Shem, for being my guest and blessings on the play. Really See you all cool. next week. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. you ever noticed that when you cheat or lie or don't support a friend and then realize what you've done an inner alarm goes off it's a kind of moral wake-up call you know you've done wrong and you don't feel good about it or about yourself By experiencing the emotions and accepting the consequences of what we've done, we can begin to accept and change ourselves. When you know you've done wrong, admit the truth, even if it's only to yourself and one other person, perhaps a counselor or minister. Then, if there's a way to make amends, to set the situation right, do so and clear the air. Finally, renew your commitment to live in your own integrity. When you do, you'll benefit with good health, good relationships, and self-esteem.
3: This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
1: You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward?